What do you think of when I say the 1990s? Grunge music? Friends? We all remember that. But what you might not remember is that 61 million people were using pagers and smartphones didn't exist. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on my new podcast, History of the 90s, we go inside the stories that defined a decade. From 90210 to the Long Island Lolita. Listen for free to History of the 90s on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Morning News with Sue DL and Andrew Schultz on 770 CHQR. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, January 28th. We begin with a look at the new parliamentary session that kicked off on Monday. We catch up with Mercedes Stevenson, Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News and host of the West Block on the top issues she expects the new minority government will be facing. Next, we look at the new NAFTA agreement yet to be signed by our nation. We speak with an auto sector expert who explains why it would be a real benefit for Canada and why it should be dealt with sooner rather than later. Then we explore the latest retail numbers released this week from Stats Canada. The data reveals some positive results for the majority of the country, but not for Alberta. We talk with a retail industry insider as to why our province is off the mark. And finally, it's a gala and it's a big deal. We get details on the upcoming Big Ball Gallop, which takes aim at promoting men's mental health. 8.09 on the morning news and yesterday the House of Commons resumed sitting, I believe it was yeah, close to 40 days since before the Christmas break. Uh, with a breakdown and uh, what we can expect in all things in the world of politics, joined once again by Mercedes Stevenson, Ottawa Bureau Chief, host of the West Block. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. It's been so long. Uh, how were the holidays for you, by the way? Uh, they Well, you know, they were great, and um, it was nice to get back to Calgary. I was off a little bit in New Year as well, but it was actually when um, this whole tragedy happened with Iran shooting down the plane with so many Canadians mm-hmm. on board. Um, and so there, there is no vacation in journalism when that kind of stuff happens. We all kick into gear, but um, who would have thought we'd be where we are at this point already in January? It seems like the month has been going on for much longer than it has, uh, and MPs are back here now, although it feels like they've been back a little bit longer because of everything that's been going on in the news cycle that has uh, really caused the government and the opposition to kick into high gear before the House was officially sitting. Well, we're glad you're back, Mercedes. We missed you. So let's talk about uh, yesterday. It was the first day back in, what, 39 days, I believe, was was sort of the new NAFTA deal, kind of the, the, the headline, I guess. Yeah, it's really the headline that, that we're going to see going forward. And it's interesting because we've got a pretty good sense that this is going to pass. Uh, and yet you have opposition parties who won't fully commit to that. The Conservatives are still kind of towing the line a little. Uh, I can't imagine a world at this point where they are going to clearly vote against it if they think that it would bring the deal down. Um, the Bloc Québécois has said that they want to delay it a little bit because they're not thrilled with the deal that aluminum producers are getting out of the deal, but they're likely to pass it as well. The NDP saying they still haven't really made their mind up. Christian Freeland reaching out to the opposition party. She's saying, come on, let's all talk about this and get on side. Canadians are on side with this. Let's vote it through. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because this is sort of the first really big legislative test other than the throne speech for whether or not the government stays in power and it's of course as we've talked about before a very different situation than we had before the election because we are now in a minority situation and every time there is all these uh, scheming and machinations to make sure that the government has enough votes to stay in power and that the opposition parties try to swing their power around uh, and get concessions from the government. 
You know, obviously, we, we've talked a lot about Western alienation and, of course, the CUSMCA. And, and now new on the agenda, coronavirus. Do you think that that's something that's going to be, uh, you know, brought up uh, in the early days back? Because I think on the world stage, it, it has to be addressed. It's certainly a huge topic here in Ottawa, just like all across Canada. And um, it's largely provincial in terms of responsibility because, that's where the health systems are. That said, the federal government obviously deals with any kind of concerns uh, or sort of public health order if they think that there is a fear of a pandemic. They deal with immigration, people coming into the country, travel recommendations on where Canadians should or should not go. Um, and so certainly there's seized with that here at Health Canada in Ottawa. And um, I don't know if you'll see it become a highly political issue. Most politicians in Canada are kind of sensitive on things like that. They don't want to politicize something that's so important. But there's certainly expected to be a study into this, lots of discussion about it, um, and lots of discussion about what the federal government's role should be, what more can be done. Uh, and as we're starting to see Hong Kong and other places put in travel restrictions, certainly opposition here is starting to talk about, is that something that Canada should mm-hmm. look at? Uh, so I expect you're going to see a, a lot of talk about that in coming days for sure. Another hot topic we're hearing lots about, and we had uh, Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole in Calgary yesterday, and and the, the conservative leadership race is well underway now. And even Aaron O'Toole kind of taken a couple of uh, pot shots at McKay already. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? He is in, Aaron O'Toole is in a position that he sure was not uh, last say Wednesday before Pierre Polyev made the decision mm-hmm. to step down. Uh, an astounding decision because people thought that he... Maybe not the front runner, although his team certainly thought he was, but they thought he really could give Peter McKay a good run for his money. That put Aaron O'Toole into a third. He is now top two based on who's in the leadership race right now in terms of who people are likely to vote for. Um, you know, some are saying this is going to be the coronation of Peter McKay. Others are saying, no, it's really important that the party have a debate about its soul and its purpose and what kind of party does it want to be. And you need really strong candidates to do that. Uh, and some of the strongest ones, including Ronna Ambrose, did not throw their name in the ring uh, for this particular leadership contest. So should be super interesting. Uh, already you're seeing that that picking away that Peter McKay doesn't speak French very well. Yeah. How can he be a national leader? Uh, and that, that could be a real weak point for him in Quebec. I mean, he's definitely the front runner, but party lost seats in Quebec they needed to win last time. Can you bring in somebody whose French is not that strong and still take those seats? Is this it, though, Mercedes? I know that Rana Ambrose, uh, obviously you mentioned it, out. Uh, Michelle Rempel still on the sidelines and not confirmed uh, 100% out. We go from a field of like 13 last uh, time out for the CPC and now two? Do you think, you think we might see some more names before we uh, get closer? Uh, we we definitely could see more names. Um, uh, Michelle Rumpel, as you mentioned, one of the people who has been talking uh, sort of quietly behind the scenes, getting a sense of whether or not she'd have support there or would want to make a run, and she hasn't ruled it in or out yet. Uh, there's also only one other woman in the race, and that's Marilyn Gladue. So uh, Michelle Rumpel would be another woman joining the race if she got in there. Michael Chong is another one uh, who has run before and who's taking a look at possibly running, says he's in consultation uh, with his family on whether or not to do that. But there's not really any any other huge names who were expecting to pop out of the woodwork who could really, at the end of the day, give uh, Peter McKay or an Aaron O'Toole or, or even Marilyn Gladue uh, kind of a run for their money 
other than those two possibilities. There's no real serious challenger to Peter McKay that any of us have heard about that, that could be kind of coming out of the sidelines. Now, then again, you never know. Yeah. I know the party is kind of beating the bushes <laughs> looking for people. And remember, at the end of this, too, there's actually a leadership committee that will decide who's eligible to run. So right now, it's people putting money in and having to meet the terms the party set out, but they could still kind of weed some candidates out if they think there could be a risk to the party. Conspiracy theorists would say, and the rumor has been going around, that Stephen Harper sort of cleared the way for Peter <laughs> McKay, or potentially small chance that he might even throw his own hat in the ring. I keep hearing this theory from people that, that they think Stephen Harper's coming back. Um, I, I, you know, will never rule anything out in politics, but I would be quite astounded if Mr. Harper came back. Uh, he's done very well in the private sector. I think Been there, he's done that, happy right? there. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, what is there really to be gained by coming back? Now, who knows, but no one who I've talked to who's close to Mr. Harper seems to think that that's a, a realistic option. Um, was he clearing the field for Peter McKay, or did it just kind of happen that way? Um, I've had no sense that Pierre Polyev's decision to step down was motivated in any way by Mr. Harper. Uh, I think it's always kind of fun to guess at these things in politics. Uh, it was certainly unexpected because his was so last minute, um, but sort of linking to Harper, does Harper still very much have tremendous influence over the Conservative Party? Yeah, absolutely. The guy's the godfather of the party. Uh, is he the one who's sort of manipulating the leadership race, or that's why he stepped on from the fund? Um, I haven't seen a relationship there, but certainly fun for people to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always interesting. Thanks for your time this morning, Mercedes. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to have you back. Mercedes Stevenson, uh, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 8.12 on the morning news. The wheels are in motion to sign off on the new NAFTA agreement as MPs are back at work in the House of Commons following the holiday break. The Auto Parts Manufacturers Association very interested in getting the agreement signed. Flavio Volpe is president of the APMA and he joins us now. Good morning, Flavio. Thanks for having me. So what does the new NAFTA agreement mean to the auto industry in our nation? Well, it means certainty. You know, it's uh, two or three years now of discussions, trade discussions, where, you know, markets, especially uh, for companies that are publicly traded, uh, are uh, unsure about uh, market access to uh, the one place where we send 75% of our vehicles and 58% of our parts. We're finally at a stage where Mexico and the U.S. have already ratified and Canada has an up or down vote. And once we get there, the questions about... Uh, our short and long-term future of our product uh, costs and distributions uh, will have been settled. Flavio, what happens in Canada, we assume, will go ahead. They'll sign the agreement. What does that do for Alberta's economy? Do you know, Alberta's economy, in spite of the fact that it's geared, uh, it's a resource economy, it also is heavily dependent on, on access to um, a U.S. customer base. And in that U.S. customer base, in a, with an administration that has been talking increasingly over the last few years about using protective measures that uh, even American industry, the American Chamber of Commerce, that is illegal use of tariffs, um, uh, covering off uh, the USMCA and, and closing the book for the Trump administration uh, will mean that his crazy creativity, protections creativity, will not creep into the uh, resource economy, will not creep into the economies of uh, Western Canada, and he'll just focus on his fights with the Democrats uh, in impeachment and uh, with uh, with his uh, uh, the usual squabbles with the EU and China. Your members and uh, you know the businesses you represent 
Are they getting frustrated? Is it kind of an antsy feeling to, to get on with things? Do you know what's funny is that we sit here now, we're in a, uh, we, we were in a country where the, the certainty of ratification was, was uh, the highest amongst the three about a year ago. Uh, there, was a, there was a change in government in Mexico where uh, we weren't sure whether the new government, which was very left of center, was going to sign it. Uh, we weren't sure whether uh, the House in the U.S. was going to support the, the Trump administration, but we had a majority government in Ottawa that said, we're going to move forward. You know, fast forward a year and a half later, and here we are, uh, Parliament could vote this thing down. Uh, they aren't likely to. I think the Conservative Party has, has responsibly said that it will likely support it. But as we saw last year with, the, with um, uh, some of the controversies that came up, uh, weak is a lifetime in politics. And if we, if we wait this out and drag it out two, three months, and this government gets caught up in something else, and the opposition decides, well, it's probably more important to, to uh, do a vote of non-confidence. If we fail on the ratification of the, of the new USMCA, we're in, a, we're in a legal trade no-man's land uh, with uh, Mexico and the U.S. They're implementing legislation, which has passed, has replaced NAFTA. So there is no more NAFTA. So if we don't, for whatever reason, ratify the USMC or Kuzma, whatever we're calling it in Ottawa, we'll be the only signatory to NAFTA. Those two will be in a trade agreement with each other, and we will have done to ourselves what President Trump threatened to do to us two years ago. So it's vital that this goes ahead, and if so, will it be a victory for Canadians, or is it just, as you said earlier, sort of a, a way of making sure that we have stability, or is there something better in this deal than what we had before? Well, in the sector I represent, uh, it, is a, it, is, it is a big win. Uh, if you're going to sell a car tariff-free in North America right now under NAFTA, 62.5% of that car has to come from uh, parts of the three countries. Now, in the new deal, 75% has to come from one of the three countries. Mm. They've also put a, a little punishing filter on Mexico, saying if you make cars in a facility that pays less than $16 an hour, which is all of Mexico, 40% of that car has to come from uh, a parts facility that pays more. That means that parts suppliers not only get more content in a vehicle, American and Canadian parts suppliers get more than the Mexican parts suppliers. It's a great deal for us. Uh, I, I, you know, I know that that hasn't meant the same for every sector across the country, but you know, in this part of the country, uh, we couldn't have done better with this deal. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Flavio. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 909 on the morning news. Well, the numbers are in and the numbers are up. That is for the majority of the nation. According to Stats Canada, retail sales across the country uh, up at the back edge of last year, with the exception of our province, where residents seem to be spending less. With analysis on the survey, we're joined by Mario Tanaguzzi, media expert in the retail industry. Good morning, Mario. Good morning, Andrew. Well, is this simply a, a, another symptom of our economy here in Alberta? What can we attribute uh, you know, our shortcomings to? Well, yes, exactly. Like, you know, when uh, when the oil prices started to collapse in uh, the latter half of 2014, you know, that sent us into two recession years, 2015-2016, uh, uh, and then a very slow economic recovery, which we're still in the, in the midst of, right? Uh, you know, things are getting a little better in the province uh, from an economic standpoint, but we're still far away uh, from being where we were pre uh pre-2015, pre-2014, a lot of it has to do with confidence, consumer confidence, right? And uh, when consumers aren't, um, you know, confident that the economy is doing well and 
and that, uh, you know, their futures are uh, maybe in jeopardy, et cetera, uh, you know, they tend to keep the money in their wallets mm-hmm. and they don't go out spending. Maria, can you break down some of the numbers for us, how Alberta looked compared to the rest of Canada? Well, overall, uh, you know, you're looking at, uh, you, you got to remember that uh, a lot of things are, are going on in this province still, uh, you, uh, you know, that are, are positive right now. Granted, you know, uh, you know, uh, the trend has been in the opposite direction than the rest of Canada. However, uh, you know, there's still a lot happening there. Like, uh, you know, over six, you know, almost seven billion dollars in in retail sales in Alberta is nothing to sneeze at, right? And uh, and and granted, it's one of the lowest uh, levels it's been for for quite some time, uh, but uh, but it's still at a healthy level and. Uh, the, the retailers that are doing well are, are the ones that have, uh, you know, adapted to the, to the situations and, and looked at different ways of uh, attracting uh, consumers into their stores. So can we expect this trend, do you think, to continue into 2020? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, I don't think there's any change in terms of uh, the, the ec- economy of this province for a while. And, and granted, we're, we're going to get... Uh, um, a lot of uh, positive uh, news uh, in the next little little while, I guess. Like you know, uh, be, but we're got to remember though that that positive news is building on sort of levels that are down, right? So, uh, so we're the increases that we're going to see are on uh, levels that have kind of uh, diminished over the last couple of years. But as I said, any positive news is good, and uh, for for consumers and. Uh, that's what they need right now. So you're saying there's no, no way but up in this case for us, right? Well, there isn't. You know, I think, you know, for sure we've hit, uh, you know, if you want to use that phrase, we've hit bottom uh, in many ways in terms of the economy. And uh, it can only go up during any unforeseen stuff, you know, and everything's been positive in the sense that, you know, you've got some movement in, in the pipeline issues, which is a is a big uh, bonus, right? And, uh you know, uh, there's also some stability there uh, in the province. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into political stuff, but, but you know, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, you know, the new government seems to be doing things that are uh, positive for, for the business environment, right? And uh, uh, so that's going to be helpful. We had the chance before the holiday to speak with the GM of South Centre Mall, who was uh, kind of tight-lipped but gave us just a little bit of an insight as to that huge empty space. I think the Sears at South Centre Mall has to be the biggest in the entire city that has been shuttered for, what, uh, 18 months now? It's been a while. And he had told us that uh, there will be new life into the Sears, uh, but different than you'd expect as far as the makeup, not one huge department store taking over that space, uh, kind of thinking outside the box, so to speak. Are you hearing more of those type of projects? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I think what's happened over the years, uh, uh, especially in malls, uh, uh, they're taking that huge space that has become vacant, whether it's a Sears, whether it's a Target. Uh, you take a look at um, uh, Market Mall, for instance, and uh, Market Mall had that uh, gigantic ti- Target uh, mm-hmm. space there, right? And when they left, uh, you go in there now, and there's several stores there, uh, right? Uh, so so those malls are, uh, you know, for those anchor tenants that have departed uh, over the last few years, uh, those malls are looking at creative and different ways to uh, 
uh, to use that space. Some of it is being used differently, like uh, uh, Marlboro Mall, for example. Uh, I can't well, remember that. A school, the, yeah. Yeah, the school, Macamie College, right? right? Uh, no plug, sorry for the plug there, but, you know, it's a massage therapist mm-hmm. uh, thing. So that's what malls are doing, and then they're breaking them up into, instead of having one big store, they're having five or six stores in that former space. That's that adapting that you talked about for sure. Is there good news coming for Calgary, do you think, as an industry insider? Do you see anything down the pipe? Well, you know, I think the the good news is that there's still a lot of development taking place out there, right? There's, there's uh, you know, retail projects springing up everywhere. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a, a bunch of retail that's going to be built down uh, um, in an area called Township, down south, uh, south end of the city. You know, University District, uh, you know, that mixed-use uh, mm-hmm. site has got a lot of uh, retail components to it. And then there's stuff happening at, at, at the malls themselves, right? You know, Market Mall opened up a, a cake, uh, you know, this uh, this past fall, and, and the Landmark Theater, right? So uh, it's not all doom and gloom out there. Oh, that's good news, particularly <laughs> as we move into another. And, and also, good news that we're seeing some growth still with such a busy online world. People still, in this city anyway, want to get out and uh, be in the tangible world, whether it's the malls or the, the small shops. Exactly, right. And I think, uh, you know, of all the retailers I, I speak with, uh, like, constantly each day, like, they're always bringing up this customer experience, right, uh, aspect to their business. And and they're doing everything they can to uh, enhance that customer experience. That's the key going forward. And a lot of that has to do with their physical stores, uh, you know, and uh, and that customer experience can include everything from uh, – you know some uh, digital offerings within those stores that that help them shop and and buy, to just the straightforward um, you know uh, interaction with a sales associate. So uh, so that's that's a key for a lot of uh, the retailers these days who are in this omni-channel world, right? And you know it seems too we hear more and more. I think probably because people understand that it's a difficult go for a lot of store owners that we're buying local more and more often. So I think maybe that's a plus to what we've been experiencing too. Yeah, you've got to you got to wonder about that too, right? And uh, you know I've gone downtown a few times uh, recently, and I you know I look and go, whoa, what happened to that Starbucks, right? And <laughs> and then you and then you look around and you see a, a lot of these local coffee shops are around. So. I think there's uh, uh, more and more of a trend uh, towards that because you know we're living in the in the Amazon world and uh, and uh, I, I think there's also that kind of um, a kind of thought that people would like to support the mm-hmm. their local businesses sure. and, and 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 you know thankfully there's there's a lot of initiatives from business organizations and groups like the Canadian Federation of Independent Business that that are marketing stuff that way yeah. that you know what it's time to to support the local industries most definitely thanks so much for joining us mario for the conversation appreciate it you're welcome mario tanaguzzi is media expert in the retail industry i'm the starting goaltender on the most popular team in in, in the world i started having all these uh thoughts maybe this is it Maybe, maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe I can't stay at that same level. But I wasn't going to tell my guys how weak I was. 
And then I went in a ditch in a hurry. Definitely very uh, lonely. I didn't really worry much about my team or my teammates. They're going to figure it out. I was either going to figure it out myself and keep playing, but I was about my family. I'm the guy, right? Got to make the money, and you can't if you're broken. The Big Ball Gala. It's a fun party coming up this Friday, yes, but it's also a powerful way to help women understand the issues men are facing when it comes to mental health. Last year, this great event raised over $70,000, all the funds directly supporting men's mental health issues at the Prostate Cancer Centre. Joining us to talk about the importance of this event is the founder of Women for Men's Health, Dr. Shelley Spanner. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, you know that audio. That was NHL superstar Kelly Rudy. How important is it to have people like him speaking up about men's mental health issues? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. And I absolutely love Kelly's story for a whole bunch of reasons. But um, first of all, it's amazing that he opened up because so many men can relate to him. They can admire his hockey skills and the way he succeeded in the NHL. And then his career afterwards has also been inspiring. But in terms of his mental health, opening up about his struggles and then finding a way to overcome them. And I think that is such an optimistic way to look at mental health issues. And it gives everyone hope. I think we all struggle and sometimes we can't see the hope. And so Kelly's struggle and Kelly's story gives us a chance to kind of celebrate the hope and the possibilities that exist when you overcome and when you struggle through your battle. So I absolutely love that story and I feel like we are just so blessed to have him as as a spokesperson for this event. I think he's incredibly powerful. Dr. Spanner, I think a big part of it would be breaking the stigma. In Kelly's words there, he was broken and he couldn't let his teammates down. Do you think that is still common in 2020 that men feel like they cannot come forward with a mental health issue because they will be deemed broken and and look weak? I I do still think that's that's an issue. I mean, I think it's definitely changing and there's, there's so many initiatives that are helping to change it. But when you look at the statistics, men, I mean, that was the whole impetus for this this women for men's health group is that men lag behind women in everything in physical health and in mental health and um the only way that you can change those statistics is to start talking about them to bring awareness and so i think men are are much less likely to talk about things than women are they're much less likely to seek help and they're much less likely to you know treat issues that are really really bothering them and you know that carries on when you look at the you know, the worst part of mental health is suicide, I think. Mm-hmm. And look at suicide rates in Alberta, 40, 84 to 5 or 80% are men. Wow. Men, in, men in the prime of their lives, like in their working lives, ages 40 to 65. And, you know, we want to change that. We want to make it normal to hear NHL players say, I'm struggling, I'm, um, I need help. And we want to hear, I mean, because we know it goes across all spectrums from, you know, people who are working nine to five or shift work as to people who are in the NHL. Like it's, it's a, it's a battle that a lot of people face. 
I think we're getting better, Dr. Spanner, in terms of, you know, being okay with talking about mental health issues. But for men and for boys, I think that, you know, it seems that they're still taught, you know, don't cry, it's weak. Don't talk about how you feel and your your emotions. That's just you being weak. And, and we can see that in terms of how many men don't go to doctors as well to try and get their, their physical health looked after. Well, it's so interesting because I won't, I won't bombard you with statistics, <laughs> but I'll give you a few because... When you look at the top 13 causes of death in Canada, men lead women in, tw- in 12 of those, and that's like um, all cancers, um, cardiovascular disease, accidental, non-accidental trauma. But women lead men in Alzheimer's disease and dementia. That's the only cause they lead in. And the thought behind that is men simply don't live long enough to die as frequently from that disease. And we know that mental health plays a huge role in physical health. They're intertwined. And so when men are struggling in their physical health, you can actually draw a pretty direct path to how they take care of their mental health. And so you're absolutely right. Like men, there still is, men are the strong ones, men are looking after people. They don't want people to know they're weak. But sometimes when you, you know, just say, I I need a bit of help, it's the strongest thing you can do. Mm -hmm, Agree. It's interesting because the, the medical stats are there and uh, you have some incredible stats to back up your, your words there, Dr. Spanner. But the economic burden of mental illness, I was shocked to see this number in our province alone. It's staggering. It's so interesting. The um, ATB Financial is helping us this year and their CEO is Curtis Stangy. And he talked to us at the launch for the big ball about the financial implications and the um, the devastating effect on business that mental health problems have and he i don't have his statistics off the top of my head but he was so compelling and atb is um a a great employee like they spend a lot of they do have a lot of initiatives for mental health awareness and for specific groups in their um company including men so absolutely the financial costs when you there's a mental health commission that gives you the numbers and they're absolutely staggering and i mean people can't work as well when they're not feeling great and feeling strong. And so it's such an important um, attribute that we all need to work towards, I think. Yeah, well, we got the number. You got the number right here, Sue? Yeah, I, and I just wanted to ask you, Doctor, I mean, I, do you, is, it must be a fun event, but yet a serious one. You know, with this big ball gala that's Friday night, you're, you're back again, raising 100% of the money going to the Prostate Cancer Centre, so hugely important. So I, we appreciate you coming on and talking about men's mental health issues and, and the fact that this event is going on and people can have some fun, but do some good at the same time. So appreciate you being here with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was, it's a pleasure. It's the bigball.ca if you want to get your tickets and information about the event. Dr. Shelley Spanner, thank you for your time. The economic burden, by the way, um, in Alberta, estimated at $51 billion. And Dr. Shelley Spanner, radiologist at Mayfair Diagnostics, founder of Women for Men's Health. Thanks for listening to the Morning News Podcast. Make sure you don't miss any of the latest news from around Calgary by subscribing to the Morning News Podcast. And if you like the show, take a minute and give us a rating. See you tomorrow on the Morning News.